0: Joe Polish once said to me, the definition of hell is to meet the man or woman that you could have been. And it's that that constantly makes me want to challenge myself to grow. So I'm the person that the other me never wants to meet.
1: On this episode of The Introverted Iconoclast, I sat down with Steve Sims. Steve looks like the perfect hybrid of a character straight out of a Guy Ritchie movie and a Harley Davidson TV commercial. But underneath that surly facade, Steve harbors some deep wisdom and an unapologetic resolve that is quite frankly very refreshing. I can see why people are drawn to Steve and how he has brute forced himself into the position he is in now. It's truly impressive. Enjoy. steve sims how are you brother
0: i'm good thank you
1: (laughs) i'm really really glad to meet you and uh as i mentioned just in the pre-recording i don't i didn't i spent a purposely very little time getting to know you before this recording started because i'd rather (laughs) get the uh cold bore shot so to speak right off the bat and learn a little bit about each other from here and uh i know nothing more than what i've been able to read a little bit online and admittedly i didn't do too much um coloring of my perception before this call or this this uh podcast. So it's a pleasure to meet you.
0: Oh, thank you very much. I wonder if uh, what you've read is going to stand up to what you'll end up knowing.
1: <laughs> one of the most notable things I read, which uh, Brooke, my my coordinator, also read and she found it to be fantastic, was if you're looking for a warm hug or I'm I'm paraphrasing and you want comfort and you want to be nurtured or something, then stay the hell away from me. <laughs> and that was one of my favorite lines. But some of the folks that I've heard say that are some of the most comforting folks I've ever met because they tell you the truth and they're very honest. And I think that's probably what you probably were getting at.
0: Uh, that and the fact that a lot of people annoy me. Um, oh, yeah. There's too much talk going around. So uh, I like people of action. So people that need yeah. it fluffed around and they need to have a little baby hug and have a little afternoon nap aren't the kind of people I end up chatting with.
1: That's awesome. Well, that's great. So out of curiosity, how and why did you arrive at that conclusion of how, because you've attracted a hell of a group, because from what I was able to read and see, you do have quite an audience that appreciates that method. You know, they're not looking for that hug. They're not looking for that comfort or being lip serviced into, you know, lulled into some sort of comfort. So clearly what you're doing is right. Um, How did you figure that one out? I guess that's a pretty loaded question
0: yeah and the 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 answer is hysterically I didn't um and I say hysterically <laughs> is is because me and my son we own a we own a branding and media company called Sims media, so right. it's funny that we own a branding company, yeah, but I learned how to brand by not branding, and let mm-hmm. me you know explain that a little bit further, growing up, I wanted to hang around with rich and affluent people. But I mm-hmm. realized that, you know, I, I had bad uh, intellect, I wasn't well educated from school, I didn't sound right, I didn't look good. For anyone that can't see this, I'm 245 <laughs> pound of biker ugly. So I didn't fit <laughs> in the mold of warm and fuzzy, let me welcome you yeah. into the world. So what I did was I focused on you. The second mm-hmm. I would meet you, I'd be like, hey, what's your problem? How can I help you? How can I be an asset to you? And I would quickly turn the attention to you. And so by actually anti-branding myself, I became the brand, the man that can. And Forbes called me the real life wizard of Oz because of it. So my branding actually grew by not focusing on me, but by Mm -hmm. focusing on my endeavors and my action. And it took about eight years before I went, that was actually quite a good idea to do. And then of course, as we've got more and more into the world of of social and bearing in mind I came from a a period of life where I didn't have Instagram to show me how inadequate my life was but now we're in a daily world where you know oh if you don't have a thousand likes if you don't have ten thousands of people are following you you must be useless right Um, and so as that visuality has actually grown so is the bullshit factor
1: no doubt about it so
0: again I thought to myself all right I'm not going to try and lean up against a car that I don't own. I'm mm-hmm. not going to take a picture on a private jet that's not even got the engines turned on, or just a fuselage totally. in, a, in a bloody you know photo studio somewhere. I'm just going to call it as I as it is, and if right. it resonates for you, come on board. We'll have a conversation. If it doesn't, walk away. We'll all be fine.
1: Well, I think it's that blatant honesty and as you put it very accurately look my kids are obsessed with exactly that problem that the number of likes and yeah. how many views they're getting and all that horse shit. and and you know the problem with that is that it's convoluting their perception of value and um their currency is changing what they believe they're yes. essentially what they consider currency right and that's concerning to me because i think you and i are probably have similar age range ballpark you know i'm just almost. I'm 47, so you know, getting up there.
0: Well, thank you very much. I'm 55, so if I if I look near near you, that's good. You for look me spectacular, pretty brother. Pretty bad for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you look great, and I must look terrible. So we're in good shape. Uh, go. But but ultimately, um, you know, I think it's interesting because there's a lot of younger folks out there that are you know getting into this world. Podcasting is a very interesting world because it's uncensored, un you know a little bit more unstructured, yep. which I like a lot. Right, it's one of the yes. few well, not few, one of the last bastions, I think, where we can actually speak like this, you and I, without some censorship, which is nice. Um, So what's encouraging to me is that people have gravitated toward what you just said. You've decided to be very frank. Um, What's fascinating is, at least in the U.S., you know, there's a perception of, you look like a lot of my friends, and you're exactly right. You look like a biker. You look like a paramilitary individual, someone that's been through the ringer in a a variety of ways, but you're probably one of the nicest people that you'll meet once I get to know you. And you actually decide that I'm someone that you like, I imagine that's the way it works with you. Um, I'm a
0: good friend and a bad enemy.
1: That's a wonderful way to put it. That's very, very accurate. Um, What, and, and so this has evolved. Like you said, you didn't try, but it's become something that you now have embraced and run with. And what, uh, how have you, What's the next step for this? Do you eventually are you training people? Are you helping people kind of face certain things? What's you run a branding company, so obviously that's very different than kind of coaching and all that. What has it evolved into now?
0: So we for, to talk about the evolution, you've got to know the past. Um, yes. As a bricklayer in London, I had no money, so mm-hmm. I was also quite resentful of the fact that I had no money. So I went out of my way to talk to people that had money to ask them, how come you have money and I don't? Now, that was back in the 80s and 90s. If it was today, I'd Mm -hmm. start a podcast. There's no better (laughs) medium than to talk to affluent people. So, But back then, I was a dormant of a nightclub, and it started off getting people into bars, clubs, parties. I ended up working with some of the biggest brands in the planet. Now it's the Grammys, Kentucky Derby, uh, the New York Fashion Week, Formula One, and all of it was so I could question and communicate with affluent people to find mm-hmm. out what did they look at, what impact did they draw. I never wanted to be a social butterfly, mm-hmm. but as as documented by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine, I became the go-to guy for the richest people in the planet. Now, right. five years ago, I was in a party, and I got asked to write a book, and I thought, eh, why not? I don't care. That'll be fun. And mm-hmm. I puked out everything that I thought was wrong with the world and how we needed to communicate with each other. Now, mm-hmm. I say I puked it out because I wasn't trying to write a book that would sell. I was right. trying to write a book that was a mirror of my philosophies and my thoughts. Right. And for the first couple of months, it didn't sell. I think it sold. It went through Simon & Schuster, which was one right. of the biggest you know, publishing houses in the planet. First couple of months, I think it sold maybe a thousand copies, um, which is pretty crap for Mm -hmm. for a major publication book. It's pretty Mm -hmm. embarrassing to be actual. Um, And then the third month, someone got hold of it and someone else got hold of it and and it sold 8,000 copies and it just went from there. So it's now been released in seven different languages. It's been a bestseller from everywhere from Korea, Poland, Vietnam, um, all the way across America. Uh And now I teach, I train, I coach. And as I say, when you need that extra step to be able to be branded accurately, which is a, basically a mirror, and amplification of you, we mm-hmm. do it through Sims Media. So my whole world has changed, mm-hmm. but I think the whole world has changed. And if we mm-hmm. go back three years ago, pre-COVID, where we really cared about what we looked like on social – Right, I think people are getting tired of it. I think yeah. people are actually getting irritated by that that young prick leaning up against a car that he doesn't own, going, "Hey, do you want this car for four ninety nine? <laughs> I can sell you a course that'll tell you how to." We're seeing through that shit. So yeah. we're actually, actually now starting to dig deeper into people's comments and looking at the substance. If I'm going to look at financial advice from you. Mm-hmm. I want to know that you've got a background of financial advice, the goods, the lows, the bads. The, every, I want to know you've got that substance. I want to know you've failed and you've become educated by it. I don't want to listen to some airhead who just happens to look pretty telling mm-hmm. me about the world of crypto that she knows nothing about, but she looks great in a bathing suit. So I think we're actually changing how we actually respond and and value people's statements now. And I think it's a good thing It's about time.
1: No, that's fantastic. And, you know, you bring something up that I wanted to get to. Uh, I hoped, hoped we'd land on this at some point during this chat. So very briefly, because this is not, people know this about me from what I've shared in my podcast already. So I came from the corporate intelligence world. i actually stole information on behalf of my clients and would deliver it to my betters and and they would make money from that. <clears throat> so my entire career in life was my own pursuit of financial and monetary affluence. Exactly like you said, I wanted to be around that. And I found a really interesting way to get there, which is to basically get people what they needed. I was an information broker and ultimately uh, that turned turned into my cybersecurity career. And now I do the opposite. I protect them from people like me, which is really interesting.
0: <laughs> um, the way.
1: Right, isn't it? And and what's fascinating though, <clears throat> and this is where I'm very curious on your perception. Now that you've gotten there, and I'm asking for my own personal, selfish curiosity, I'm—I had the worst period of my life when I made money. My wife and I were in a bad place after when that happened, and it was just—I had too many options. I know it sounds so silly to people that haven't made money before. They're like, "You fucking moron!" You know, what you, you did it wrong. I do it right when I get it when I get there. And it was a revelation to the fact that that was such a—it was Fight Club it was the shit that you own starts to own you. Did you get, did you, I suspect just looking at you, you had a very, you had a similar epiphany of some kind, I imagine.
0: Everyone does. Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone does. It was one of the, it was one of the questions that I started asking people how they handled success mm. because the idea of success from different people is different things. When you're totally. 18 years old, your idea of success is having a million dollars. Okay. Yeah. Any 18-year-old wants to be a millionaire. Well, I hate to break it to you, but the world isn't always sunny when you've got a million dollars. In fact, it's quite great because if you've got kids mm-hmm. and you've got a million dollars, you're still working nine to five. You know, absolutely. unless you bought a uh, tent in Idaho or something. And I apologize <laughs> to anyone who's living in a tent in Idaho. But if right. you're, I live in LA. I can't yeah. live in LA on a million bucks. Just right. absolutely can't. So, yeah you suddenly realize things happen. And you're right. I actually remember the time that me and my wife started to get um, constant deals coming in to the point that we weren't even paying attention to our bank account anymore Exactly. and that kind of period. And then you sit down and I remember me and my wife going to this really beautiful meal at the top of a hotel in Bangkok Mm -hmm. and just looking at each other during this meal and just going, What's missing? Yeah. You know, what's what's happened? And I remember looking at my watch and going, why do I have this watch? (laughs) And it was horrible. It was such a weird time. But you're right. There's a revelation. And anyone out there is going, oh, you don't know. How can you know how you're going to handle something that you've never had? Totally right. It really is a learning curve, and this is why it's very smart for those people that don't have the money, for those Mm -hmm. people that don't have the education, for those people that don't have the losses and the mistakes and the failings, Mm -hmm. surround yourself with people that do so you can avoid those things. So as you get closer to your monetary compound, you can turn around and go, all right, I learned from Jimmy, I learned from Karim, I learned from Steve, okay, Mm -hmm. I need to adjust my my perception of this moment. Yes. Because trust me, it ain't an arrival, it's a beginning.
1: Man, that's so good. And I love that because, and I, I said this to you before we got started, I don't want to know anything as much as I possibly don't have to learn so we can jump in and we can get to something not even 15 minutes in that is really pertinent and un, uncultivated, right? No kidding. One of the things that I was telling a friend the other day, who's he's part of my startup now that is likely going to exit and he's got all stock options and he's probably going to make out quite well, probably not the fuck you money that, you know, everyone would want, you know, to forever live without having to work. That's what everyone wants, but it's enough to where he's starting to dream about the kind of car he's going to get. Right. And I know that stage. I've seen it and I've deliberated Steve. I'm like, do I tell this guy to not go for that to your point? Or do I have to allow him to go through those phases of, what you said accurately, which is you have to have those stumbling blocks. You have to look down at that watch and then look across the table at your wife and almost not even know what the hell to talk about with her because life's gotten to be dull and there's too many options and, frankly, nothing has flavor anymore and, you know, there's no no hope. There's no hunger. It's a very interesting place to be that is completely contradictory to what people think. Um, It's a funny conversation because usually I think people expect to hear from, certainly you, which is how to get there, and then I don't know how many people talk to you about what do you do once the dogs caught the car, because yeah. I'm at that place. I I want to minimize if I sell this next company. I'm going to get rid of the shit that I own. I'm I bought a place in Maui. It's a ranch that is amazing. It's serene. It's beautiful. The first time I got there after I still was in the throes of that. I must love what my life's like now because I've done it. I've gotten where we I, and I was miserable there in Maui for fuck's sake. I mean it's ridiculous. Yeah. I went back not long ago after the pandemic because I hadn't been back there. And I was so happy because I'd finally gotten to a certain level in my mind about what is meaningful, what's important, much more clearly than I had been before. And it's a blessing to get there, which is you have to get back to minimal. Um, That's not for everyone. I, I don't mean to suggest that I know the way. I'm just saying that that's now really working for me. And I think when I get chances to talk to folks like yourself, I'm fascinated because you probably have these thoughts when you're talking to folks about how to get to success and you have to package it cellophane wrap it a bit to fit and i bet you similar to me cringe a bit like oh man i'm telling people how to get to where i got to where i was miserable but they got to go there you know
0: they got to go there but your obligation and again because of our age we came from a pre-internet world that's true we didn't have anyone to guide us Um, so you have an obligation to sit down with your mate and go, Hey, I want to have a conversation with you Mm -hmm. and I hope you're going to hear part of it, Mm -hmm. but understand it's all for your benefit and you should have that conversation. I actually realized how wealthy I was the second I went to prison. Okay. Mm. Now that's, that's your reaction straight off the bat. is going, Oh my God, he went to prison. Why did he go to prison? Um, I've been to prison over the last four years, I think maybe eleven times. Wow. Okay,
1: that's a record. Now, my before
0: friend. you th- before you think I am a serial um, serial uh, felon, yeah. I go in there to train entrepreneurs. You see, a friend of mine, uh, Cat Hope and um, Tim Ferriss, uh, Jason Gaynard, they contacted me and they said to me, "Hey, Sims, do you want to go to prison?" Yeah. And at the time, I thought to myself, yeah, that'd be funny. That'd look good on my social pages. You know, I'm mm-hmm. a big guy. It'd be funny to go, yeah, I was in prison. Mm-hmm. And we went to a maximum um, maximum security level four prison. Now, you're wow. not in a level four for not paying your parking tickets. right? Sure. right? You're in there because, yeah, you've been a bit of a bad boy. Mm-hmm. And I went there because a company called Defy Ventures, they run these programs that re-educate the mind of mm. felons into what they call EITs, entrepreneurs in training, that take all of that hustle from the street mm-hmm. into productive businesses. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I went along for a day just because I thought it'd be really cool for me. Within 15 minutes, I was like, oh, my God, these people are so focused. You see, we sit there and we bitch that mm-hmm. our our stake isn't grade A wagyu. Or mm-hmm. we bitch because we didn't get a certain ROI on our uh, Facebook ads. Or my equity holding on this exit plan isn't buying me a bloody great yacht. And we whine about it. right? And then we meet people from the street that are serving 10 years because they were in what I call the postcode lottery, the zip code lottery. They were born into it. They never mm-hmm. had any other option. And now talking to me about how they're going to be doing these productive things you know, when they're out in five years' time. Yeah. You know, how can you be productive and positive in literally the darkest place in the planet? Right. And when I left that prison, the grass was greener, the sky mm. was bluer, and I will never forget the following day when I woke up and I stood in my yard overlooking the Santa Monica Hills with my dogs and my coffee going, you're yeah, here, yeah, boy. This is it. This moment, this breath... Yeah. This freedom of choice. Yeah. And so, what I do is, and it's, it's slowed down because of COVID, but like three to four times a year, I would take up to 40 entrepreneurs into prison mm-hmm. to shake them up, to alter their perspective. And to, for a lot of them, and I've taken some very big names in the industry in there, that's saying it's some of the best things that's ever happened to them. And I've had our wives and our families and our husbands come back to me going, you brought me back a better version of the man you took away. That uh, because, and that's what I do. So everyone's got to handle it themselves. But for me, I went and challenged myself to a different perspective. We haven't been to prison for just over a year now. Mm-hmm. So if anyone wants to go to stevedsims.com, sign up for my newsletter, I'll let you know. There's, we make no money out of it. So this isn't a sure. pitch. Okay? Right, but, right. If you are nervous about your life, if you feel intimidated about giving your Monday morning meeting, if you're worried about your prospects or your business plan or your strategies, let me get you uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and that shit will never phase you again.
1: That is amazing. That's a really good story. And you mentioned a couple of folks, and I'm I'm smiling because I know Tim Ferriss is obviously. Um, and then I just recently met Jason. MMT Jason, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yes. he's the buffoon that actually asked me to speak on stage at his uh, mastermind talks. And I that's, say buffoon that's... because he was one of my first ever speeches yes. um, on the entrepreneurial space. Before then, I'd talked about the world of luxury and how to deal with rich people. But right. his was the first first speech I ever gave on... Mm-hmm basically being an entrepreneur and what it meant to me. And um, it was a phenomenal event.
1: That's really interesting. Well, I, I got to say, because I'm only thrown on because I met Jason now. I'll I'll tell the story very, very succinctly. So we, we save time. But you obviously know who Jordan Harbinger is, I think. you know, know the, the Jordan Harbinger,
0: yeah, of course he is. Yeah. yeah.
1: So Jordan... Um, so, I started this podcast that you're on right now in January. That's how new this thing is. And it was okay. something I never intended to do. And I was digging around for good guests. And I was like, oh, you know, I don't know who you even start with. And I found someone. I interviewed him. It was all right. It wasn't bad. And then I found Jordan. And I thought, what the hell? I'll just reach out. It was episode number four or something, or three or four, something obscenely low in, in numbers. And he agreed to come on. So, he became wow. like my fourth fourth episode ever on the podcast. And he was such a great guy, and we hadn't met, and he sort of just you know he's a curious fellow, right so he was curious- he was curious about my my background and we had such a wonderful conversation that he actually had me on his podcast so i've I'm guest number six hundred something on his I and mean, we- t- we're talking about cyber and espionage and all that, and he actually nominated me and introduced me to m m t and out of nowhere I met Jason who is the fan. so i'm fascinated by the sort of i hate i'm not a very um esoteric guy but i'm starting to realize like holy shit this whole power of you know when you put your mind in a direction shit flows towards you you know and people start to surround you absolutely Fascinating.
0: i'm a great believer that if you know great people then great things happen it's as totally simple right. as that if shit mm-hmm. is going on look at your circle you yeah. know, so, yeah, Jason Gaynard's a serious, quality lad. So is yes. his beautiful wife.
1: <laughs> I have yet to met, meet her. I will be meeting her at the next cohort, which is great. So you've got go to go
0: up to her, give her a hug, and say this is from Sims.
1: I will. I will do that. I'll remember to do that. I'll take note of that after this. But, no, i got to tell you, it's so interesting. And and if there's anything to be taken from this, it's like my outreach to you. You know, you, you get a lot of requests, and you have to sift through them. Um, Thank you for joining me on this because – you didn't have to. So gratitude is always important. And that's the part that I took away from your prison story because you know how there's a lot of folks, the gurus that'll tell you just wake up with gratitude and you know, look, I've tried that and sometimes I can tell I'm just doing the motions of gratitude. I'm not feeling it. Mm. It's nice to put yourself in a position where you really felt it. And I think you did with that prison experience. Oh, you really oh, yeah. felt the gratitude factor. Um, yeah. I need a dose of that. I'll be honest. You've got to
0: come with us. It's it's detrimental to me and my people that we haven't been allowed in there. And that's Mm. selfish, but I'm 55. So I only do things that are selfish now. And (laughs) if I can help someone else and it helps me, I'm happy. But if it's only helping somebody else, I ain't doing it. I ain't that nice. So Mm. going to prison is a wonderful thing that really helps me help others. And by actually taking a whole group of people along as well, then yeah. they get a benefit from it as well. So it's, it's a constant growth.
1: No, that's fascinating. Oh, just just yeah. on
0: one point, so sure. that I'm not misleading to anyone. I said that I don't make any money from that. Mm-hmm. I don't, but mm-hmm. I do make you pay. Mm-hmm. And I make you do a donation to the Defy Ventures Company, the foundation, mm-hmm. one of the best foundations out there for rehabilitation. I make you do a donation to them for 500 bucks. So we That's get nothing. Fair. We we charge nothing, but we do ask you to make a donation to the Defy Ventures yeah. crew.
1: That makes perfect sense. I mean, why not? You know, look, at, they're doing some amazing things. They're they're doing true rehabilitation, yeah. right? So it makes a lot of sense. Oh,
0: for everyone, for the people going in and for the people coming in. Yeah.
1: Out. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. So with with where you are, I mean, you know, what a wonderful story. Like I'm just summarizing bricklayer to bouncer just to, for alliteration purposes yeah. and then ultimately on to what you're doing now and you're living in LA you're not in the UK anymore I guess um
0: I'm not get, there, there's I'm not. there's no sunshine the sunshine left the UK <laughs> and so did I
1: <laughs> you took it with you <laughs> yeah I'm, t- I'm yeah. happy
0: here in LA with it every single day sometimes too much
1: that's great what's what what happens next here Steve like where do you you obviously have a really interesting path I mean everything evolves right And we talked about in the beginning you yeah. said that History is really important and I'm I'm glad you went there to let me know a little bit of, of history there. Um, where do you take people next? And things must have changed not humanity or or you know, not people's behavior. People are generally kind of similar creatures of habit, but what have you altered in terms of your trajectory now that things like the pandemic have happened and you've gotten, you know, you've you're doing things probably, I imagine, a fair bit more online than you were in person. Maybe that's coming back now.
0: Yeah, um, but I made sure I did a lot of Zoom and phone calls. My phone was let up during mm-hmm. COVID and a lot of FaceTime. We had everything from StreamYard, live stream, Zoom, Facebook Lives, IG Live. We had so many ways of communicating with each other, but we didn't have to travel anywhere. So yeah. every single day, I was given three hours of my life. You imagine mm-hmm. being given three hours extra a day to do whatever you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And here's a fact – you can Google this because the BBC actually did this. During COVID, there was just over 5 million new millionaires, first-time millionaires registered wow. during the worst two years of our life because none of us are alive from the First Depression. None of, of us course. are alive from the Black Plague. So this has been the biggest disaster of our you know, life. Two right. years where we couldn't step outside our door, yet over 5 million new millionaires were born. Why is that? Because those people use that adversity to benefit them. And we're talking about a depression and a recession coming up. Hey, I'll, I'll give you a soundbite. Bring it on. Because <laughs> it's rough seas to make brilliant sailors. Entrepreneurs right. thrive in adversity. If everyone is out there bitching and moaning, you see, in dep- you need to understand one thing. In depression, money doesn't stop. It slows up and gets questioned. Mm-hmm. When you are buying things and it's a depression or a recession, you don't stop buying things. You just question the value of it. Right. Now, if you're spending money on stuff because that's got great value, then you're in business. Mm -hmm. So today, while everyone's getting all scared and trying to work on payment plans, you know, giving you smaller opportunities and smaller price tags to buy that stuff, I've actually been increasing my price tags and Mm -hmm. I've been trebling my value. So I'm doubling my price and trebling my value, Mm -hmm. which makes me a gift. If I can make your business better, that's value. And that's all that matters. When you are an invoice and not an asset, now <laughs> you're a problem. So for me, I'm doing events called Speakeasies. I've got a second book out called Go For Stupid. That releases in October. Really looking forward to that. Um, mm. Got a Speakeasy uh, in LA in October. Still coaching, training. I've got God, I've got speaking gigs with... Um, I'm actually one of the headlines for traffic and conversion in San Diego nice. this year on branding. I'm speaking with... Um, Richard Branson at Hayston Hustle in Austin. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've got about eight gigs, eight or ten gigs. Uh, Tony Robbins has got me speaking on one of his stages, so I'm Thanks. all over the place. But I want to grow. This mm-hmm. is the thing. This is the. Th- I'm financially. I could stop now, mm-hmm. but what would that do to me? It would make me stationary, and when things are stationary, they become stagnant and stale, and they stink and they die. That's right. I want to constantly be trying new things, new podcasts, new businesses, new angles, new marketing strategies, new branding strategies. I -hmm. want to fail in order to become educated, to have constant growth. And I'm going to quote a friend of mine that Jason knows very well as well, Joe Polish. Mm -hmm. Joe Polish once said to me, the definition of hell is to meet the man or woman that you could have been.
1: Mm-hmm. Brilliant and it's stadium. that
0: that constantly makes me want to challenge myself to grow. So I'm the person that the other me never wants to meet.
1: It's interesting, Steve. Let me ask you another question that goes back in history a bit again. How much of you now is a product of pressure from either family, loved ones, whatever that said you couldn't, or, cause you brought up Richard Branson. And one of my favorite things about him is his mother was such a hugely powerful inspiration for him.
0: Eve. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Phenomenal, right? She said go yeah, make worked, money. I he worked went with Eve Branson then...
0: for I think it was about four years.
1: Wow, really? Yeah. Oh man. I just he's one of my favorites. Um, you know, and you know, there's a lot of super I mean, look, they're all amazing, you know. Musk is amazing, all these people that made a lot of money, fine, yeah. great, wonderful. But Branson is very close to my heart just because he's the original one for me. Um I ran into him in Holland Park one time, by the way, just anecdotally. It was pretty fun. <laughs> Um, but I wanted to ask you, like, what part of your life you think was, and it may not be anything. You may be like, no, Kareem, I was just literally always been this motivated character. Was there something that was the catalyst for you?
0: So, no, I wasn't always that character. I mm. was very pissed off, um, aggravated, which as a young, big, ugly biker wasn't a good cocktail. You know, I just always <laughs> run around on my bike looking looking angry as though I was going to kill you, but I was very aggravated and I was a bricklayer. And I remember trying to quit and, you know, you've dug up something that's a little bit, a little bit dark and, and deep. But when I realized I had to break the chains I was in, mm-hmm. I had to quit my family's business. Mm-hmm. And my dad owned the bricklaying business, the construction firm, along with my granddad. Mm-hmm. They both kind of understood. Mm-hmm. My mum never did. My dad hmm. died two years ago. My mum's hmm. still alive, and I haven't spoken to the pair of them for nearly 30 years. Wow. Yeah. So they not shunned me. My mum did. Um, but she couldn't understand why I was doing what I was doing. And she actually, I remember sh- her shouting at me once, going, You think you're better than us,
1: hmm.
0: just because I wanted to improve myself. Yeah. And so those jeers you get in the pub where people go, yeah, you can't do that. Take that as fuel. Those people that are laughing at you on social because you're trying to do a business, understand that they don't want you to achieve it because if you do, it'll show that they are inadequate to do so. That's right. So it's those jeers that fuel you to actually be better.
1: Uh, Thanks for sharing that. I had a very similar scenario with my father. He was entrepreneurial. He busted his butt to get where he got and he expected me to take over for him. And I had no interest in it. And I mm. I had no – I couldn't figure out why the hell he wouldn't see why I had to go do my own thing because he was that way earlier. I get it now all these years later where I'm trying to do – build things so my children will be sorted rather than trying to start over again. But back then I'm like, how can you not see that I have to go do what I want to do? You were just like this. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, thanks for sharing that because it's really – it's, it's – But I like that you you did bring up a very interesting point. People can become victimized very easily, but that's the very fuel that can make that engine go. Oh, Uh, yeah,
0: 100%.
1: Yeah, it's an important important part of it. Well, um, this is really wonderful, Steve. Thank you again. I know it was a short one, but um, maybe we can do an encore performance at some point, and I'm going to come see you in person sometime.
0: Perfect. Maybe you come over to a speakeasy in L.A. (laughs) Yeah,
1: or you got one in Austin, you said, and I'm in Houston, so I'm not too far off.
0: Well, we did the Austin one last year. Uh, okay. We move around America. So I don't know if we'll be back in Austin for a few years. But, you know, we, we'll stay in contact. No, we'll work LA's, where we go. LA's
1: not very far. It's a little flight. No big LA. deal. These days I can get on it pretty easy. Well, I look forward to it, my friend. And um, thank you again for the time. And really great to, to meet you and looking for the next steps. And I want to see what you do next. I'm going to buy those books tonight.
0: <laughs> it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Look after yourself.
1: Take care, Steve.